Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. Well, this morning we're continuing our study on God's providence. Last week, of course, we looked at providence and sin and Jesus. And um, that, that I think in a, for a lot of us spawned a lot of thoughts and discussions and, and conversations throughout the week. This week, we're going to look at providence and salvation in Jesus. And then next week, as I said, we're going to look at providence suffering in Jesus. Now, obviously, there's a whole lot more that could be said about the providence of God than just kind of these three points. But as I, as I worked through and thought through and prayed through kind of how do I want us to deal with the providence of God, these three issues, I think, are, are key to our thinking and understanding about the providence of God and the Christian life. And so as we think about providence again this morning, I want us to, to also think about and remember why we said last week that this is an important thing for us to think about, why this, this little mini-series kind of matters. The first, as we said, was that the doctrine of God's providence reminds us that there is only plan A. That's to say there's, there's not God's plan A of blessing and, and, and satisfaction, which, which by our bad decisions or lack of discernment we somehow fall out of into some plan of kind of misery by which God's trying to get us back into plan A. That's not how it works. There's, there's God's will, what he has decreed. The, the second thing is that thinking about God's providence reminds us that, 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 uh, that I've lost my place in the sermon. The God, doctrine of God's providence addresses existence in the actual world. It, 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 it forces us to, to think about how things actually are, and it gives us the categories for doing that. It, it, it addresses and ultimately undermines our kind of existential angst that we live with that, that leads to cynical and, and depressed withdrawal from life and relationships. When we realize that, no, there's a God in control, it addresses that. But it also, on the other side, it, it addresses and ultimately undermines our kind of naive, fearful attempts to, to reclaim some supposed golden age of the past or, or to maintain the present because we think we're getting it right or, or secure some supposedly more just, verdant, and peaceful future by our efforts. That's not to say we're not to work for justice as Christians in this world. But it reminds us it reminds us by focusing again on the sovereign reign of Christ that there is a plan, that there is one we can trust. And, and, and it actually frees us then to love our neighbor as we love ourselves and as we have been loved by God. Finally, God's providence reminds us, studying God's providence reminds us, as we're going to see explicitly this morning, that, that he provides for our redemption. He provides for our redemption. Part of his preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions is him working out and providing for redemption. And so this is a very helpful doctrine for us to think about. And this morning, I want to make one more point about why this series doesn't matter. Because this morning we're going to look at providence and salvation and Jesus. And of course, this is where we, we talk about all the big, fun, reformed Presbyterian words like predestination and foreknowledge and, and all of those kinds of things. And so I want to make this point. One of the reasons that I didn't say on purpose that this series matters and that, that what we're talking about today, one reason I didn't offer for why it matters is that it teaches us 
how to be theologically right. It's important to be theologically right. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes in in our little camp, in in the world of of Reformed theology that we live in, when when we get to these doctrines that that we celebrate because they they underpin gracious salvation, they underpin the doctrine of, of justification by grace, sometimes, and maybe you've experienced this, maybe like me, you've participated in this, we get just a little bit too excited about reminding people that don't believe like we do how wrong they are and how ridiculous it is to not think that God is sovereign, even over salvation. And and I want to remind us, as we think about this doctrine, that that's an utterly unhelpful thing to do. I, I don't think there's anyone ever in the history of Christendom, and I'm willing to go that far, that has ever come to more biblical conclusions because someone of Calvinist convictions browbeat them with Calvinist doctrine. I just don't think it's ever worked. And I don't think we should try. Because the real value of this doctrine isn't that it teaches us how to speak theologically correctly. The real value of this doctrine and what I hope that we get this morning as we think about this issue is confidence, not in our theology, but in our Savior. Confidence, not in in our ability to be right, but in the grace of God. That's where we should find our hope. That's how we should be encouraged. So last week we looked at providence and sin in Jesus and and we looked at the fall of man and continuing sin and the end of sin. And and, and, and we're going to kind of dive further into that last point, the end of sin. That's that's the point of this sermon of of providence, salvation, and Jesus. That, That he has brought an end to sin and that that's great news. And so we're going to look at it along four kind of heads of this sermon. Salvation in Christ decreed as God's plan, salvation in Christ announced beforehand as God's plan, salvation in Christ accomplished according to God's plan, and salvation in Christ assured by God's plan. That's that's what we're looking at. So, So first of all, as we jump in, salvation in Christ decreed before the foundation of the world as God's plan. Last week we read Ephesians chapter 1, and if you want to turn with me there briefly, we're going to, again, as, as we often do when we, or you often do when you look at a sermon like this, we're going to look at a bunch of different passages, but Ephesians 1 is, is a central passage for this doctrine. And, and we read, beginning in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And of course, Paul continues outlining the the riches of what we've gained in Christ. And of course, if we think back on on the passage from Acts chapter 2, that that great Pentecost sermon that that Peter preached where he he, he really just kind of took those who had crucified Christ and those who had rejected Christ, those who were the religious leaders of his day, he really just took them to task. 
And in, in process, he said this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. We could look at Acts chapter 4 where we see a similar statement. We, we could look at, at, at passage after passage where we see that the, the plan of salvation, that, that, that God's decree of salvation was beforehand. It was before the foundations of the world. That, that God, that, that salvation in Christ was decreed before the foundation of the world. That that is God's plan for his people. Now, as we think through these passages, I want us to, to think about a couple of things. What does it tell us that, about this plan? Versus choosing and predestining was, was for a particular people. Paul said God chose and, and he predestined us, talking about believers. It, it wasn't this undefined kind of random predestining that, 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 that was left undefined and kind of left open. No, Paul's saying, no, he did this for us. For believers. And he says that he did it in Christ and through Christ. Again, last week we made the point that when we start talking about these rich doctrines, and really this is true of any, any doctrinal statement that we can come up with, when we start trying to consider them apart from Jesus, and we, we kind of abstract them out as just kind of philosophical principles, they, they lose their value utterly. At that point, we're, we're, we're just doing philosophy. When Paul deals with this doctrine, he always is driving back to Jesus. He's always driving back to Christ. This was done, he tells us, before the foundation of the world. It was done according to the purpose of his will, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And it was done with a particular purpose, that we should be holy and blameless before him, that we should be adopted as his sons, as those who have a right to the inheritance of God Almighty. That was the purpose of all of this. So when we think about providence and, and, and salvation, it's not just this question of, you know, did I freely choose or did God choose? It's, no, it's much bigger than that. It's, 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 it's who he chose, yes, but it's also in whom they were chosen. It's also for what reason they were chosen, for whose glory they were chosen, according to whose will. It's all of this wrapped up and announced, decreed, before the foundation of the world. So why does this matter? To choose us, God had to know us. And he didn't just know us in the abstract. It wasn't this kind of philosophical choosing where he's like, I'm, I'm going to work things out like this. No, he knew us particularly. And he didn't just know us as kind of potentialities for, for whom it was at God's knowing still undecided whether we would turn out good or bad. He didn't say, I'm going to elect some and let's see who, like, who's worthy of that election. No, 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 no. He knew us, you and I, as we are. He knew us. As Paul was, as someone who would murder Christians, 
He was chosen. You and I, as people who would commit the particular sins that we have committed and that we will commit, were chosen before the foundation of the world. That's incredible to think about. Because I can tell you, if it were up to any one of us, and, and, and we knew each other as God knows us. And, and we knew the depths of, of what is in our heart. And, and, and we knew the pasts that we carry with us. I don't think any of us would have chosen us. Or probably anyone else in all of history. But the Bible tells us that God chose us. You and I despite our failures, in fact, because of our failures. Because what he was choosing us for was redemption. Redeeming us. That we should be holy and blameless. Not because we are holy and blameless. He looked at us and said, they're not holy and blameless. I want them to be. So I choose them for redemption. Paul makes this, this point in another place where he says that, that Christ died at the right time. Then he tells us what the right time was while we were still sinners. Do we understand how utterly gracious this makes salvation? That before the foundation of the world, knowing us fully, he still said, yeah, they're mine. They're mine. That God chose us in Christ means that whatever Christ came to do, he came to do for us. And so we say, well, what was it that Christ came to do? Thankfully, he provides us a real clear answer. I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. It's not the healthy who need a physician, he says, but the sick. That's who he came for. By us being chosen in Christ, it necessarily implies that we must need the very thing that Christ came to do, saving us from our sins. And we do. And the glory of this doctrine is that we have it. Christ came to bring the kingdom and to bring people into the kingdom. That must mean that, that we weren't part of it. And the Bible's clear. We weren't. We were, we were strangers, particularly as, as Gentiles, strangers to the promises of God. But, but we've been brought in by Christ. By Christ. And all of this, all of this, decreed before the foundations of the world. Second, salvation in Christ is announced beforehand as God's plan, beforehand in relation to, to when the events of the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ actually took place. It was all announced beforehand. We read last week and this week as part of our liturgy, Genesis 3.15, this, this promise that, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. It, it was announced right at the fall, I'm going to do something. I'm going to send the seed of this woman to crush the serpent's head, to redeem my people, to save my people. In Deuteronomy 30, we see this announcement 
that he's going to gather people in who have been scattered that Paul picks up in Romans 10 to announce this gospel of salvation by grace through faith. Isaiah 9, the light has shown to the Gentiles. Isaiah 52 through 53, this, this suffering servant who, who is a lamb before his shears and silent didn't utter a word. Joel 3, that, that Peter quotes in Acts chapter 2, reminding us, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Psalm 16 that Peter also quotes in this sermon, reminding us that, that David couldn't have been talking about himself because we know where his tomb is and there's still a body in it. So as a prophet, he must have been announcing Jesus. We forget this sometimes. We, we forget that it's not just the New Testament that's announcing salvation by grace through faith in Christ. It's the entire Bible. That's what the story is about from beginning to end. We see this as, as we look at passages in the New Testament like Matthew 26. And, and really all throughout Matthew, we see these statements again and again. Matthew was so good to, to kind of take these, these prophecies and say, so that this would be fulfilled, Jesus did this. Sometimes just, just take the time to, to read through the Gospel of Matthew. It's so rich. Look for those places so that he would say, so that what is written would be fulfilled, or so that what Isaiah said would be fulfilled, or so that what Jeremiah said would be fulfilled. All of a sudden, we start to realize, wait a minute. The, the only thing, the only sense in which something new is happening here is in the sense of fulfillment, not in the sense that this has never been talked about before, not in the sense that, 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 that God changed his plan no, it's, it's that the plan is, is being moved on to, to the next phase of, of revelation, to the next phase of, of progressive understanding. That, that as this plan works out in history, yes, Christ did come at a particular point, And before that, he hadn't. But before that, he had been talked about. And he was exactly who they should have been looking for. We see this in Acts chapter 13, in Romans 10, and in 1 Timothy 3. Many of us, if, if, we, if you grew up in church, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3. If you grew up in church, you probably memorized at some point uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scriptures breathed out by God and is useful for correction, reproof, all, all those things, right? It's, it's the, 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 the passage on which oftentimes our entire doctrine of scripture hinges because it talks about inspiration and all of these things. But if we back up one step, one verse, we read that this, is, this statement is made in the context of Paul encouraging Timothy to remember the sacred writings that he had learned from his youth. And this is how he describes those sacred writings, which, which obviously, logically, had to be the Old Testament. These sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Justification by faith in Christ, Paul is telling us here, isn't just a New Testament doctrine. It was announced beforehand. It was announced before Christ actually came. 
Why does this matter in our thinking about providence and, and salvation and Jesus? Well, for two reasons. One, there never has been nor ever will be some other way of salvation. It has always been through Christ. Second, while the, the, the progression of, of biblical revelation, while, while there has been progress in that, God's plan of salvation for his people has become more clear through that progress, right? Genesis 3.15, that, that a, a seed will be born to the woman who will crush. That's not as clear, right, as Jesus saying it is finished. So, so, but it means the same thing. God has not left us in the dark at any point about the way of salvation, being gracious and being through the one who was to come. Salvation in Christ is accomplished according to God's plan. It was decreed before the foundations of the world. It, it was announced beforehand. And it was accomplished according to God's plan. Acts 2, 22, we go back to that verse once again. According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Why was Jesus crucified? Was it because he, he couldn't this last time kind of sneak out like he had done so many times? Was it because finally he was just tired of fighting and was just like, you know what? I'm done. Forget it. I quit. No. It was the very plan of God that at that time he would be betrayed. At that time he would be arrested. At that time he would be tried. At that time by those people he would be crucified. And three days later, rise again. This, Peter tells us, is the definite plan. The unalterable plan. The plan that was sure to happen of God Almighty. That's why Jesus so often said, my time has not yet come. Because there was a plan in place. And everything happened according to that plan. Or we can flip over to, to Acts chapter 4, where we read a, a very similar statement. For truly in this city that were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Here we, we, we see that, that as, the, as the apostles gathered and the believers gathered and, and prayed for boldness, they acknowledged that, God, you are the one that's in control of all of this. You brought the particular people together, the particular rulers of Herod and, and Pilate, the, the particular Jews, the particular Gentiles. You brought them together to accomplish what you had set in place. But then we see in 1 Corinthians 15, Perhaps the most clear statement that all of this is according to God's plan. Paul writes, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. All of this was accomplished according to God's plan. He decreed it. He's, he let us know through what we call the Old Testament, this is where everything is going. And then that's where it went. It's, it's like God in, in, his, in his word and, and in his workings kind of adopted the, the sermonic philosophy of tell them what you're going to say, tell them, and then tell them what you said. He, he decreed it. He said this is what's going to happen. And then it happened. And then he sent apostles to say, this is what happened. And this is why it matters. 
all of this, every aspect of our salvation was accomplished according to God's plan. Why does this matter? In addition to what we've already said, it matters because it reminds us that it's enough. It's enough. We sang the the hymn earlier, It Is Finished. And that's such a great hymn because it reminds us that when Jesus said it is finished, it was. It was done. Why? Because all that God had planned had been accomplished. There, There was nothing that needed to be added to the price that was paid for our redemption. Enough blood was shed. Enough sacrifices were made in that one sacrifice. Enough wrath was poured out on Jesus for God to be satisfied with all of his people. It's enough. We don't have to add to it. We don't have to somehow make the gospel enough for us through our actions, it's finished. The justice of God for your sin is satisfied because Jesus carried out the plan of his Father for redemption perfectly and didn't skip a step. The plan that was decreed before the foundation of the world and announced before it happened was actually accomplished by Jesus. Nothing was missed. Fourth, salvation in Christ is assured by God's plan. This is just the logical conclusion of, of what we've been saying all along. If it was God's decree, then, then it is sure that it's going to happen if we understand who our God is. If, if this is what he announces beforehand is going to happen, we can be certain that that is what's going to happen. If Jesus came and did something and and hung there at the end and said, it is finished, we can be certain that it is. But then also God in his grace and his mercy for us, because he knows how, how fickle we are, he gives us these words that remind us of how certain things are. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 35, we read this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Do you understand what Jesus is saying there? My Father decreed something. He announced this is how it was going to happen, and that is exactly what I have come to do. And because I've come to do the will of my Father, that can't be undone, that can't be thwarted, because I've come to do His will. You, dear sheep, can be certain, can be certain that you won't be cast out if you've been given to me. 
I will not lose you if you're mine. You will be raised up on the last day. Why? Because that's my Father's will. And that's what I've come to do. That's the certainty that we have in Christ. He he wasn't just this this rogue prophet or this this rogue kind of demigod that's like, hey, I want to do this and then maybe convince this bigger God to, to accept these people. No, he came as the second person of the Trinity specifically to do this work. And so you and I can be assured of our salvation. We can be assured of our pardon. We can be assured of our redemption. Not because of anything found in us, but because Jesus has told us, I've come to do his will, and his will is that I don't lose you. That I don't lose you. And he won't. You can't pry yourself out of his hands. Isn't that great news? For me, it is. We can't pry ourselves out of Christ's hands. He will not lose us. And we can't do something with our life that leads him to cast us out. He won't do that, he tells us. Now, of course, that's not a freedom to, to live wild and reckless and, and, and walk in your sin. And, and No, it's not freedom to do that. It's freedom to go, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you know my weakness. And that you know if it was possible for me to do something that led to my being cast out, I would. And you have promised me that will not happen. Not because I won't mess up real bad. But because when we do, Jesus isn't going to cast us out. Because he accomplished the plan of his father to redeem sinners that we might be holy and blameless in him. Not in ourselves. In him. Or we could go to later in John to the high priestly prayer. In John chapter 17, where where we read his prayer, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. And of course he goes on, and not just them, but for all, all in the world that will come to me. See, we can be certain of our salvation, not because of us, not even really because of any fruit that we produce in our lives. 
we can be certain of our salvation because it hangs on Jesus and him doing the Father's will. Jay had an article posted this week on 1517 that I would encourage you to go look up. It's phenomenal. It's called Adverbial and Prepositional Theology, something like that. If you look that up, you'll find it. And it's incredible because he reminds us. It's not about did we believe enough. It's not about did we truly believe. That's adverbial theology. And that hinges it back on us. The gospel is prepositional, Jay says. And he's right. Did we believe in Christ? Are we united to him? That's what our salvation hinges on. That's why there's certainty. Because he's the one that accomplished the will of the Father. Not us. See, this doctrine of of, of the providence of, of, of salvation, of God's providence in salvation, in Christ, should not at all make us arrogant because we've figured out or, or can speak of, of, of some highfalutin theological point. If that's how you're approaching it, you're missing the whole point of it. And I have. Utterly. The whole point of this is to assure us, to comfort us, to remind us that this is God's plan. It is his work in us. And so, by by way of one final point of application, when we take all of this together, we can only conclude that our salvation, our standing as, as sons of God, our adoption, our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is all of grace. Every bit of it. Every bit of it is of grace. And therefore, it's not up to you to gain it. It's not up to you to keep it. It's up to you to simply rest in it. Because it's been given freely. We, we read earlier, Rob read for us, uh, this last part of our liturgy that, that, that announces what the Christian life is. From Revelation 21, come. And who was supposed to come and drink? Those who had no money. Why? Because what's given to us to drink, the water of life, what's given to us to eat, the bread of life, what's given to us for our salvation, Jesus Christ is given freely. That's why you can have certainty about your salvation. That's why when the storms of life blow, When the bow breaks and the cradle falls and it all hits the fan. You can rest knowing you've not been cast out just because the storm of life has come. You've not been let go just because maybe you brought that storm of life. You've not been forgotten. You've not been lost. You've not outsinned the blood of Christ. And you can rest once again. That's the glory of this doctrine. That's the glory of this doctrine. When Peter denied Jesus 
he wasn't cast out. He was restored as a minister of the gospel. When Jacob walked in all of his shenanigans that were constant, he wasn't cast out. He was the fruitful brother for the work of God. When Abraham, when David, when Moses, when you and I, when all God's people get all so wrong, this is the doctrine that gives us hope. Because it reminds us it didn't depend on me in the first place. And if it didn't depend on me in the first place, it doesn't depend on me in the last place either. Christ accomplished the eternal will of God to redeem us that we might be holy and blameless in Christ Jesus. That's the providence of salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the hope of the gospel. And we thank you that, that this plan was sure and certain, that it was decreed before the foundation of the world, that it was announced even before it happened, that it was accomplished perfectly according to your plan. And that Christ assures us of all that is ours in him. God, would you teach us to set our mind on this beautiful thing? This thing that is good and true and, and worthy. That it might shape how we think and how we live and how we hope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of scripture and theology.